Welcome to Succession Stories. I'm Lori Barkman. As an exit value planning and M&A advisor, I call myself the business transition Sherpa. This podcast guides entrepreneurs from transition to transaction, from building value in your business to letting go. What do I do when I'm not hosting a podcast? I work with owners to maximize business value with my firm, small.big. And as a certified mergers and acquisitions advisor with Stony Hill, I guide you through the complex process of selling your company. Tune into Succession Stories for weekly insights to reward your hard work and avoid succession regrets. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and sign up for our newsletter at successionstories.com. Here's to your success. Is this the year to sell your company? Don't leave your exit to chance. Stony Hill Advisors works with entrepreneurs like you to get ready for what may be the biggest transaction of your life. Learn what your business is worth by visiting stonyhilladvisors.com slash podcast. Setting your pricing strategy can make the difference between profitability, breaking even, or failing. Per Schoforsch is the author of The Price Whisperer, and CEO of Shofors and Partners in Los Angeles. Pear has made it his life's work to make pricing practical and actionable and has helped over 600 clients substantially increase sales and profits. We talked about their methodology of buyer psychology, market research, and machine learning to provide clarity how pricing affects sales volume, customer segmentation, profitability, and ultimately your company valuation. Discover the paradox of pricing power and how asking for more earns more in this episode with Pear Shoforce. Pear, it is hard to believe that more than 20 years ago, we worked together at a small asset management company here in Pittsburgh called Mediasite. And that's how we met. Amazing. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time and I'm very pleased to be on the show and very pleased to meet you again. Yeah, and that's what I love about LinkedIn and social media. You reached out and you said, Lori, I think we should reconnect. I think I can add a lot of value for your audience on the show as a guest. And I completely agree. You have an amazing experience and resume, CV Global resume, as a CEO, business development leader, and someone who has probably seen it all when it comes to sales forces and what makes teams tick. The focus of today's conversation is about pricing. You call yourself the price whisperer. Why is that? Well, it's a moniker that I didn't invent, actually. The, the, what, what happened was that um, people started to call me the price whisperer. And when I had heard that 50 or 100 times or something like that, I said, well, maybe I should just adopt it. And, and I did. And if nothing else, because I got such a wacky name, you know, being natively Swedish, you know, at least people can find me through just by Googling the price whisper, you know. So it's something that makes more sense for, for, for an American audience. And even though we, we work globally, we, most of our clients are here in the States. You're the third whisperer I know of. There's the horse whisperer. Yeah. There's the baby whisperer and you're the price whisperer. So that means you're helping teams be more effective with their strategies. You know, as a quick research, I went into Google just for fun mm-hmm. and I put in the following queries. Why is B2B pricing difficult? That's what I typed in. Any guesses as to how many Google search results came back? 
Oh, no, I have actually no idea. But <laughs> it is 29.7 million search results. Wow. And then I typed in, why is B2C pricing difficult? And I got 4.4. So I don't know if that's scientific or not, but it seems like in that math, B2B pricing is nearly seven times more difficult than B2C. Now, I assume given your, given your experience, you spend a lot of time with B2B companies talking about pricing, but you probably also work with B2C also, correct? Yeah, I do, but it's about half and half, to be honest. And, you know, I think I know the answer to why people say that B2B pricing is so much more difficult. And, and one of the most common mistakes people do in, in, in business is to set prices on a competitor. So they look up the price of a competitor and then they say, we're a little bit better. So let me guess that we could take another 10% higher price or our competitor is a little better than me or better than us, I should say. And by the way, we're new in the market. So let us price 10% lower. And, and that fluff factor of 10% is purely gut feel. Now in B2B, this is relatively easy to do in B2C because if nothing else, you can look it up on the web or you can go to the store if nothing else and see you know, what, what your competitor are charging for their butter fluffer when you comes up with a, with a new butter fluffer. In, in B2B, that's a lot harder. And I'll tell you the story why, why I really got into this. And I, I was involved with a data storage company and we, we made these massively scalable data storage systems. I was the CMO. Uh, pricing was not on, on my table. It was the strategy officer and, and, and CEO who did that. And, and what they tried to do was to obtain the price list of a, of a competitor. And the best you can always get was maybe there was a friendly customer who gave you the, the sort of last year's price list, or uh, I know at one point we got an international price list or, or the GSA schedule. And then, then these two guys said, okay, we're a little bit better. So you, you, you start with information that is completely irrelevant because it's old and it's incomplete and it doesn't include what discounts competitor are making, what deals they're making, what bundles they're making, and so forth. So, so it's just a number that is irrelevant. And then on top of that data platform that was completely useless, they added the fluff factor, you know? And they said, we're, we're a little bit better. We have a little higher data transfer capacity. So because of that, we're gonna be a little bit higher, you know? And then of course they sent out the salespeople and, and said, take any deal at any price. <laughs> You know, and, and I said, this is so sick that there must be a better way, you know. And long story short, there was 62 million of investor capital in the company and uh, investors got 9 million back uh, back when, when they sold the asset in, in bankruptcy. Wow. That's a heck of a story. And it really does demonstrate how competitive based pricing does not always work. It didn't really reflect the value that your company was providing. No, Is correct. that what motivated you to take a different approach? Well, you know, I ran two companies in Europe and, and when I moved here to the States in the, in the mid 1990s, 94, I joined a fairly large public company, established a, a new division for the company and grew that. 
after that event, uh, I ran another four companies here and had some other stints, like when we met uh, where I was, I think I was VP of BizDev. But in all these companies I ran, we did experiments with pricing. And some of those experiments were very successful, type next quarter revenues are up 25%. Others were complete disasters, and many of them were just inconclusive. And um, what I had learned about pricing in business school was so academic and so theoretical that it didn't help us at all to understand why some of those experiments worked. So after that story or instance with a storage company, I decided at that point I was too old and too opinionated to, to be a hired gun anymore. So I started my own thing and, and developed a, a process that really makes every pricing experiment a success. And you said value-based pricing, and yes, but it needs to be value-based pricing where you actually know what your customers are willing to pay for the value you deliver. How do you go about that? This is not an easy thing because especially in a, an environment where testing is tricky, you know, if you have longstanding relationships, it depends on the nature of the business, I would think. How do you set up tests and how do you understand the dynamics of how to go about a value-based pricing experiment? Well, testing is something that you should avoid. That is because, especially in B2B, you want to have reoccurring customers, eh? And if they see prices that are changing every time they go and buy something, you just create confusion. And the, the one thing that a confused customer is not going to do, and that is to buy from you, you know? So testing is not the way. And, and the, the, the process that I developed and that we use in my company is all about using a, a very different kind of online market research from which we can accurately measure the specific value that a, a marketplace will seize with a product or a service. Can you uh, share an example? Oh, we're talking about B2B, right? One example is uh, a customer here in the, in, in the Los Angeles area where I am. We discovered that they were so underpriced. They, they have a business phone system in the cloud. And we discovered they were so underpriced that they could quadruple their prices. And two things happened as a result of quadrupling. Well, first of all, it took them about nine months, so they didn't do it overnight. But two things happened after uh, they quadrupled their prices. First of all, their sales volume went up with 25%. And then using the, the term that the, the CEO, the very technical term the CEO mentioned, he said, and we got rid of the bottom feeders. So now we have a more professional level of customers and our customer support costs have gone down with 80%. What were some of the main justifications to move the price up four times? Well, it has to do with that pricing itself is the strongest marketing message of benefit and value. And if you're underpriced yourself, it sends a message of inferior quality, inferior benefit. And, you know, we've all been there. We, we, we hold something in our hand and we say, oh, I kind of want this, but this is so cheap that it can't be any good. And then we don't buy it. So that's what happened with this particular company. But the other lesson to learn here is that pricing also selects the customer. And if you're very low priced, you are only getting customers that are price sensitive. And price sensitive customers care only about one thing, and that's your low price. They don't care much about the product or the service that you're selling. And because of that, they don't really bother to learn it properly. 
which is what this company experienced. And, and that's why as soon as there was a question, they just called their customer support and, and got help from customer support as opposed to really understand how to use the, the, this particular product. So, and, and then of course, we all want returning customers, but a price sensitive customer, as soon as there is uh, an alternative that's a little bit cheaper, they're gone, you know, they're never loyal to you. And because of that, if you really look at it, in almost every market, the market leader is the high priced, high value choice, not the low price alternatives, you know? So there's really a psychology to this. You know, if I go back to my psychology 101 class and different experiments with people's motivations and how they think, as an entrepreneur, we might think about pricing differently. It's probably like you said earlier about the competitive pricing, perhaps that's the most common. And it feels a little bit scary to move. We want to all want to be in that top right box. We all want to be in that upper right quadrant, high value, high price. Well, what would have happened to that data storage business, though, if they increased their price and their volume went down? Were they prepared for that alternative scenario? And obviously it didn't happen, but what were the contingency plans? Most companies only look at sales volume. And, and in fact, uh, we did a, I mean, if you, if you look at it from any company's point of view, profitability comes from only three variables. It's the cost, total cost of, of, of what you sell and the operation. It is the sales volume of whatever you sell. And it is the price of whatever you sell. And if you look at all of these three, and you can do a, a, a simple thought experiment. If you change one of these three, 1%, how does that impact uh, profitability of a company? Well, if you can increase your sales volume with 1%, for the average company, your profitability goes up with 3.5%. If you can reduce your cost with 1%, for the average company, profitability goes up with 5.5%. But if you can increase your price with 1% or decrease your discounting with 1%, profitability goes up with 11.3% um, for the average company. Now, I have something that I talk about in, 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 in my presentations and so forth that I call the 1% challenge. And the challenge is very simple. It is, have you ever failed to change something 1% ever? You know, have you ever told your salespeople, nope, you can, you cannot discount this much. You have to discount 5% less, right? And suddenly, for the average company, you had have um, increased your, your profit with 50%, right? Think about that. I mean, this is leverage, you know? And um, But That's you talk, also talked about psychology, and, and there is actually a, an academic field that talk about the psychology behind our purchase uh, behavior, and it's called behavioral economics. And um, <clears throat> the interesting thing, though, is that I, um, you know, I, I set up this process that we had uh, that we still follows and and uh, and so forth. And um, only about five years ago, I I got wind of this um, uh, behavioral economics. So I was doing the practical implementation of behavioral economics for ten years before I even knew it existed. You know, which is kind of funny, you know. Who is your most important customer? The person who buys your business. 
Stony Hill Advisors works with owners to maximize the value when you're ready to sell. Get started today with a business valuation by visiting stonyhilladvisors.com slash podcast. The academic side of it, as you said earlier, is just like that, right? It doesn't feel practical. It's, you know, sometimes feels convoluted and complicated. And a lot of business owners, they've learned on the job. Maybe they've built their business. Maybe they're an HVAC company and they're, they have a business and a B2B side to what they do. Plus they have residential Does your process work for those types of companies? Call it more service businesses, or is it more perfected for products? It doesn't matter. It's all about buying behavior. And whether you buy a service or whether you buy a a, a product, uh, whether you buy it, it for your company or whether you buy it for yourself, purchase behavior is the same. And I mean, it all starts with emotions. All purchases are made emotionally. And then once we made our emotion decision, um, we, we, uh, we put rationale around it for ourselves and for others, you know, because we believe that we're going to be uh, rational uh, animals and, and we're not, you know. And, <clears throat> and, and a lot of what this behavioral economics is talking about is how that, um, um, how that um, uh, lack of rationale actually happened. And, and in fact, behavioral economics, the first theories that, that um, really was developed by a guy called Singer, and he got the Nobel Prize, I think, in, I think it was 78 or something like that. But um, uh, the first thing, I mean, it, it, it was in B2B, you know, and, and, and specifically how, 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 uh, how the price... Um, is a message of value. And, and later on, there's been uh, oodles of, 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 of experiments in this when, for example, they found that a, um, a, 5%, a 5 cent uh, aspirin is not particularly effective in, in curing your headache, whereas a 50% aspirin is, you know? So, um, uh, so that perception of value, perception of benefit is closely related to um, uh, to the price. Yeah, I want to just bring this back to why I thought it was important to have you on the show. A lot of times in the discourse and discussions in, this, in these episodes is about how can owners create a more sellable, transferable business? How do they create value? Mm-hmm. And pricing, as you just mentioned earlier with the numbers you shared, is probably the number one lever. And if we can create a competitive differentiation, if we own our niche, whatever makes our company special and different, ultimately we should be able to charge a premium price. If a company is listening, an owner is listening and they're thinking about this for their products or services and and are interested in learning more, you know, it feels like a little bit like a black box right now, because I know you have an artificial intelligence platform, you're doing predictive analytics, that that inherently sounds complicated. How do we unpack it a little bit to help people understand what is the process? What does it look like if you're working in a, either consulting or with your software and solution, solutions to help them determine a pricing strategy? Well, for, first off, let's talk about value and valuation. And, and um, typical results when you, when, you, when you start doing value pricing the right way is, is a doubling of sales growth, 25 to 40% higher margins, and because this happened in a hockey stick kind of way, um, uh, you, you will enjoy roughly three to five times higher valuation. 
which of course makes a huge difference for for any company and and uh, especially when you look at company ownership you know because most company most owners eventually want to exit and and in some way either by 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 an ipo or or selling the company you know so that that, that by itself make make a um a very um you know makes a huge difference now when it comes to the actual process it's it's really very simple because everything that 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 we do happens um in the background and and <clears throat> what we do with 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 our clients is that we um, and I said that our, our process is 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 it's it's online market research, but it's market research incredibly different and not to be compared to what you get from a market research company because they don't do what we do. Um, a, a market research company may tell you what people want. We tell we tell our clients what people want to pay for, what they want to buy, which is very different than what you want. You know, yeah, I want the Ferrari. I'm not going to buy a Ferrari. <laughs> you know, so um, so it's it's what you want to is what you want to pay for that that is, that is the important thing. And and so so we we create a, a research design. We do our research in in the in in the marketplace. We um, we feed that data into our AI platform that we developed, and and outspits a um, a lots of um, uh, lots of um, charts, really, uh, demand curves that are again very different than than what you would see in from in, in business school. But then I have um, ser uh, experienced business people that look at these um, theoretical curves and um, and 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 make total business sense. So so we 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 end up uh, telling our customers. Um, this is the customer profile that you should focus on because it will lead to the highest sales volume and revenue. These are the features and functions and benefit you should focus on because it leads to the highest sales and revenue. These are the marketing channels and marketing messages you should use because it leads to the highest sales and revenue. Then <clears throat> these are the sales channels and methodologies you should use. And of course, uh, these is the uh, the pricing strategy that will lead to the minimum of sales friction and and maximum sales and revenue. So so it's really a, a complete go to market strategy for any company who wants to elevate itself to the next level. So in the spirit of the saying eating your own dog food, did your company use this process in your own pricing strategy? Yep. <laughs> That's that's great. That's wow. great. And this is a long time coming. This is from years and years of your experience. And then it sounds like you have some talented folks on your team, a combination of probably psychology, you know, behavioral economics and marketing. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting mix. Yeah. And, and most importantly, um, uh, business experience, experience, you know, I, uh, I own what I've done is I, I reconstituted if you like a couple of very very um very successful um prior uh, business executives i've taken them out of retirement you know and so they do uh, a little bit more interesting things than, than playing golf you know one of, them, <laughs> one of them was steve jobs mentor you know um another one uh was an innovator and and in in um uh in um uh, what should we call it um, um 
uh, a, a large Canadian tech company had more than a thousand people reporting to him and stuff like that. Yeah. That's great. So who do you work with most commonly? When you and I talked offline, you mentioned uh, private equity groups. Yeah. yeah, private equity. I get a lot of business. <laughs> it's sort of funny. I, I get these emails out of the blue um, every so often from a CEO of a typically mid-market company, and and uh, um, where where he or she writes to me and said, "I have been told by our board we should talk." <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, an interesting way to say it. Yeah, and and. Um, and and I mean, from from a private equity point of view, you know, they you know they they invest in a company. They typically have a horizon of three to five years before they they want to sell it. And and with our services, we'll cut that down to a year. You know, amazing. So, um, it makes a huge difference. Um, and and we have um, uh, we have oodles of. I mean, we just we're working with. Um, Currently, two companies, both private equity groups, um, um, and and um, one we can uh, we've seen they can double that their prices and uh, and actually see a, a, an increase in sales. Um, the other one can increase prices with about forty percent without any damage on on um, on 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 sales volume. So um, the, the, the and this is going to. This is going to make a huge difference for each of these companies, and both of them have billion-dollar um, um, sits on a billion-dollar opportunity. That's huge. What about the smaller companies? Is this good for companies in the lower middle market? Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, I, I mentioned this uh, this phone company. Um, they were, I think, they were around about a million dollars, maybe even a little less than a million when when we. Did the first uh, uh, work for them, and obviously now they're 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 you know ten times as big, you know. So that's great. That's great. You know, I think in terms of uh, what we learn in school about marketing, the five P's. Sometimes people talk about the four, which means one's missing. Yeah. <laughs> Is pricing the forgotten P, and well, we're bringing it back and putting uh, it in the forefront. Well, pricing is the so here. Here is what um, the the problem with business school teaching is, um, and and that is that the the it doesn't it doesn't talk about how all the I mean I'm talking about the four piece I I, I forget people many times, but um, um, it 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 doesn't say that each of the four piece or five piece if you want to call them that interact right. And and they 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 look at each of them in in um, in um, in like they would be in a vacuum, but is they're not, you know, um, meaning that uh, let's say um, <clears throat> say um, you know place place is, is you know who you sell to and so forth, you know, and and many times um, we can see that um, if you if you sell to a different category of people. Um, you, um, uh, you you can substantially increase your prices. And let me give you a, um, um, an example of this. Uh, a couple of years ago, we did a, a, a product um, a project for a company who sold um, a particular kind of employee training. And they sold this, this, this training to the HR departments. And the HR departments didn't, they don't have a lot of, budgets for anything you know and so, so so the company was struggling and they wanted to sell high they wanted to sell to the c-suite instead 
and <clears throat> which m makes all the sense. But um, the, what, what, what was discovered was that the C-suite wanted to buy this particular training, but they wanted to buy it for completely different reasons. So once the company had, and, and um, they were not successful with, with the, the messages and the marketing messages and, and sales methodology in the C-suite that kind of worked in, in the HR department, but by completely changing how they market and, and how their, their messages worked, um, they could approach the, the C-suite with much higher prices and, and be very successful because they, they had completely different reasons for buying. Interesting. And that's a good example too, because the buying group who, you know, the economic buyer, the, the HR department, the one with the budget yeah. couldn't make a yes decision. But if it the C-suite agreed to it for other reasons and saw a different ROI on it, then that unlocked that potential. That's yeah. great. I mean, it, it was like, remember one of the key drivers here was for, for the for the HR department was sort of reduce mistakes and, and and similar things you know whereas for the uh, for the c-suite it was uh, one of the key drivers was um, reduced turnover right yeah and there's real hard dollars on that HR department don't care about turnover because that's their livelihood you know yeah to go hire new people that's right that's right but there's a good way to quantify that that's great thanks for sharing all of this i know as we wrap up our time together today i love to ask everyone if, when they come on if they have a favorite quote to share and i've given you a little bit of time to think about it did you have one in mind well um let me paraphrase warren buffett right with a quote and and he said this he said that um the, the most important criterion uh, for making an investment in a company is whether the company has pricing power or not. And then he continued saying that, and pricing power is the ability to increase prices without losing sales volume, right? And that's where we are all about. I love it. If people want to get in touch with you, Pear, to learn more, what's a good way to find you? My, my company is called Showforce and Partners, and, and our website is showforce.com. Uh, I can be reached at par at showforce.com. Um, it's a difficult name, you know, spelt oddly and makes perfect sense again in my, my native Sweden, but not here. So you can always just Google the, the price whisper and, and, and you find, can find me that way. So um, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's one way. And, uh, and obviously, I want to thank you and for we'll, time, uh, Laura, and, uh, and hope this was interesting for your audience. Thank you so much, Per. And we'll be sure to put the links in the show notes so people can find you. And your name pronunciation has never escaped me because my husband is Swedish. So yeah. I'm <laughs> very comfortable with that. And hearing your accent makes me feel comfortable like I'm, I'm back with his family. So thanks so much for reconnecting. Thanks for coming on the show and sharing all your wisdom about pricing and how we can be more profitable. Thank you so much, Lori. And, and thanks again to the audience. My objective is for you to have a lucrative and successful succession. If you want to understand the value of your company today, that's a great place to start. The sooner you understand what creates value and what detracts from it, the more time you'll have to close the gap if there is one. Hundreds of business owners have taken my complimentary business assessment. As a first step, schedule a call with me 
by visiting meetlauriebarkman.com. That's meetlauriebarkman.com. <laughs>